This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. I've got just a couple things that I want to mention to you today before uh, we get started, and I'm going to pray. One is that next week is Easter. I don't know if y'all know that, but we're entering that season, that week of celebrating what our Lord and Savior Jesus did for us that we could never do for our own selves, and it's going to be a profound week for you, I believe, Um, but it's also a great opportunity for us to invite, and so Um, I just want to encourage you uh, to continue to do the things that we've talked about for the last few weeks. Now, the next thing that I I just want to just make known is that tonight, if you're the parent of a teenager, we're doing a vision night for our students, and I'm speaking. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like I've got one of the best words to share that I've had in a long time. It's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss it. Please don't miss it. Don't miss out on what God's got for you tonight. Uh, I think it's at 5 p.m. at Tiffany's. But before we get started today, uh, I just want to take a moment and pray. Can we do that together? God, we just thank you. We thank you that you are so very, very good for us, good to us. And God, today I, I just ask you to be with us as we look into the moment of the cross and examine what it means for us, what, what this moment and the reality of the death of your son Jesus means. And as we examine it today, God, I pray that, that the, the good news would be new news and it wouldn't be old news in our heart. And that today, God, we would be encouraged and that strengthened and pushed a little further down the path that you have for us to walk in, God, that we would leave this place changed through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, as we get started today, I just want to go back to the very beginning because it sets this all up. The Bible begins with these verses in Genesis 1 and then 1 and 2. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice that it doesn't say um, there was a beginning and then there was God. It says that in the beginning, God was there and then he created. He created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. This is how it all began, that God was and was and was. He was before there was ever time or matter. God existed. And before the beginning, there was God. And then he began to create. And it's so interesting that even thousands of years later, after Moses wrote and recorded this book, that the scientific data that has emerged about the creation of the world that we live on still aligns itself with the order that this is recorded in Scripture, that the very first thing to appear was light. 
that God said, let there be light, and it was good. And then he said, now let us separate on the earth the sky from the water, and then let us separate the water from dry land. And then upon the dry land, let there be plants that start to grow. And then he separated the days into seasons. And gave us night so that we could see the stars. And then fish and aquatic life were created. Then animals that are along the ground. And then in Genesis 1.27, the Bible records that he did. The boldest thing that he could have done in light of all that he had created. He created something in his own image. And that was us. In Genesis 1.27, the Bible records that in the image of God, He created us. And then in Genesis 1, verse 31, records this. Then God looked over all that He had made and saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. And as you know, God took the seventh day to rest he looked over all that he had created and said, it's good. It's all good. Can I translate that for you, given the current series that we're in, chemistry? He looked over everything and said, the chemistry is good. The chemistry is good. The equations are balanced. All that I made is as it is supposed to be. It is perfect. But see, along the way, the Bible records that God did something again that was daring. He took what he had made and he handed it off to us and gave us authority over his creation. I don't know if you realize this, but that's still the way that we live. If you have kids, they're not your kids, they're his kids. You just have authority over them for a little while. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but that home that you spend all your time cleaning and worrying about and paying the bills for, probably one day somebody else is going to live in that house. We're here for a short time. We've been given authority over a little bit. And God gave humanity authority over all creation. I want to walk you through this in the first section of your notes. See, God created matter. And then he made matter meaningful through creation. Stephen Hawking, who passed away this past few weeks ago, He's not a believer, he's an astrophysicist. Surmised that the matter in all the universe came from a clump that was no bigger than the size of our fist. Before what he surmises, the Big Bang. The question that has to linger in the mind of anybody who has any sort of rational thought is where did that come from? Where did that come from? I mean, I, 
We get into all kind of arguments over the, the order and the details, but the truth is, where did it come from? And the Bible makes it clear. In the beginning, before there was anything, there was God. And then he made matter, and then he made matter meaningful. He made matter matter. And then God handed off a good, balanced creation to us with limited responsibility. You ever think about the deal that Adam and Eve got? They were put into what could only be described as perfection. Everything that they needed was provided for them. They did not even have to work. They had one rule. And here's why they had one rule. Because God designed our lives with him to be love. And if there's no choice, it's not love. And so there was one rule. It was simple. And I think that when we look at that, one of the things that we can realize is that God always stacks the cards in our favor because he loves us and he cares for us. There was one rule. Do not eat from this one tree. How many trees were there? We don't know. Hundreds, maybe thousands of trees. But one tree. Don't eat from this one tree. And you know the story. The serpent shows up. God said, if you eat from this tree, you'll die. And the serpent shows up to tempt them with the same thing that happens to us. The inversion of the truth. Surely you won't die. Surely you won't die. If you eat it, surely you will not die. Surely what God said, he was just trying to scare you. He's trying to keep you from doing that. Surely you won't die. They did. They sinned. We had one rule. Everything was provided for us, as simple as it could possibly be, and we broke the one rule. I think that also shows us that if we ever think that life can be defined by rules and can be lived by rules and relationships can be navigated by rules, then we are far from the truth of what love looks like. Because that one rule gets broken and sin enters the world. Number three, I want you to see this. When sin entered the world, it contaminated the equation of life. God had set up what life was supposed to be like. One rule, you obey me, you choose me, I provide everything for you. And then, in a very difficult, broken moment, sin entered the world and contaminated the equipment, and it has continued 
throughout centuries and centuries to contaminate every person who has ever been born since then. Romans 5.12 says it this way, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. And it left us all, it left us all broken and lost. See, Romans 6.23 says it this way, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, before sin, there was no such thing as death. And some of you in the last year have lost loved ones, people that you care deeply about. There's not a time that I don't go through that when I don't just sit back and go, this is what sin gave us. This is is what sin gave us. Sin gave us this, that our bodies from the very moment that we are born are destined to at some point fail. Because what God created that was good became contaminated. See, sin broke life and introduced creation to death. What God had created that was good and was sustainable was now broken. And it introduced what had only known life to death. Now you might be in here today and you might be inclined to be thinking, hey, well, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm nice to my husband. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good parent. I don't, I don't flip anybody off when I'm driving to work in the morning. I don't fall into that category, right? That's not me. I'm not sinner. But the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, the issue is not how good you are when it comes to sin. The issue is How much like God are you? And I hate to tell you, but none of you are God. None of you are God. None of us are that good, that perfect, that without error. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And in our sin and our failures, we've invited (coughs) death. Everyone, everyone has been contaminated by sin. Every person. And we see this in our kids. Y'all ever notice that about your kids? You have kids and you think, man, they're so cute and sweet. And for the first, like, couple months, all they do is, you know, they, they just eat and poop, right, and sleep, wake up screaming. They only cry when they're sick and hungry. But then, but then they get to be about two. And you figure this out. 
You don't have to teach kids to be bad. You don't have to. They just figure that out on their own. Like everyone's, you just walk in and they're beating each other up for no reason. What's going on? I don't know. I just wanted to hit her. Why? I don't know. Because they're sinners. They're, they're sin. They're born sinners. That's why we have to teach our kids to be good. Because every one of us has been contaminated by sin. First John 1 says it this way. If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Because the truth is, is that we have all sinned. And when we sinned, that sin entered into our lives. And that sin has broken the equation of life that God designed. That he looked over and said, it's good. And sin left the equation of life broken. Unbalanced if you want to use a chemical term. That there was something introduced into that equation that God originally did not design, which meant that it was one of two things. It was either going to be our play or God's play. It was either going to be that we solve the other side so that the equation becomes balanced. And there's some of us who think that we can do that because we think that we can live good enough to overcome the sin that's been leveraged on the other side of the equation. You may not even say it that way, but you think that way. Because you think, I'm not good enough because. There's no way God could love me because. There's no way I could ever be saved because. And what you're saying is you're saying that it is my effort and goodness that should be able to balance the equation, but that's not how it worked. You see, God didn't leave us to our failure. He actually took on our failure. Think about that. He took on, he took on our failure onto himself. He didn't leave us to it. He didn't say, you fixed, the, you made the problem. You fi- Y'all ever do that with your kids? You made the mess, clean it up. He didn't. He didn't leave us to the mess that we made. He took on our failure upon himself. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 John 2, verse 2 puts it this way, that he is the sacrifice, Jesus is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only for our sins, but for the sins of all the world. And I know all of y'all got somebody out there that's done you wrong. I could just say that, and there's probably a name that pops into your head, right? Some of y'all are like, I hate that person. Why are you making me think about them right now? 
See, the thing is, is if that person showed up in the middle of the night knocking on your door, hey, hey, I'm in a desperate situation. They're about to turn the, the heat off. And as you know, I got a little baby. I just need $100. I need $100. Can you lend me $100? I'll pay you back. You know what? The majority of us will laugh at them, shut the door, and say, go find $100 from somebody that actually likes you. If it was your best friend that showed up, you might give them $100. But if it was the next month and they showed up all over again needing $100 because they got in a bind, this time you might be, hey, when you start looking at the problem, I'm not going to give you any more money. But you want to know something that's interesting? The Bible puts it this way. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. And y'all know y'all especially good, right? Someone who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were failing him, breaking him, murdering him, he gave his life for us. You see, the cross of Jesus was a sacrifice to reconcile, reconcile our connection with God. It's exactly what it said in that verse that we read just a moment ago in 1 John 2, where it says that he himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. Not only his sins, not only our sins, but the sins of the world. He is the sacrifice. You see, because in the equation of life, when sin entered the equation, it required a sacrifice to balance the equation. It required a life to balance the equation. It wasn't simply, hey, you know what, try to be good. It wasn't, we can't wipe this away. No, what has been done has been done. And it required blood. And for years, <clears throat> people would atone for their sin by, by, by killing the, the first of their livestock that were born. Or by buying and killing a, a, a bull or a lamb. And for a portion of time, that, that would work and it would be a a, a temporary sacrifice to cover their failures, but God sent His Son Jesus to live a perfect life. See, we don't even understand what that's like. We don't, we don't get it because, like, if we're honest, most of the time when people get upset with us, it's because we've done something stupid. Imagine living life where the majority of the time people were upset with you and you had never made a mistake. 
And that life is going to culminate in an event that literally separated human history. Where Jesus comes into town, heralded as the next king. And because of the madness that surrounded his ministry, the religious leaders got together and said, we cannot allow this to continue. And they trumped up charges and arrested him. Brought him before the Roman governor and said that he claimed to be king in those days. It was impossible to be a king in the Roman Empire without having been established by Caesar. It was a crime that was punishable by death. But the Roman governor, Pilate, well, he was a little timid of this situation. It seemed a little trumped up. It didn't seem authentic. But the people were so enthusiastic about what they felt need to happen that Pilate tried to, to kind of succumb their desires by having him scourged. So he ordered Jesus to be beaten with 39 lashes of the cat of nine's tail whip. It, it was a whip that had multiple branches that broke out of it. Within it, there would be sown bone and rocks so that when it hit the flesh, not only would it hit the flesh, it would sink into the flesh, and when it was pulled away, it would take skin with it. Most men died simply from scourging. But there Jesus is beaten and bloodied and made fun of and mocked and brought back. And Pilate now senses that something is wrong. So it's customary in this kind of time of the year to release a prisoner and he would let the crowd vote on who is going to be released. So he decided, I'm going to bring out the worst of the worst, a guy named Barabbas. He was a murderer. Everybody knew who he was. He brought him out and stood both, Jesus and Barabbas, before the crowd. And the crowd yelled, give us Barabbas. At which point, Pilate washes his hands and sentences Jesus to death on a cross. Now, historians will tell you that the most painful way that we have ever come up with of executing another human being was crucifixion. His bones would have been broken. He would have been nailed to a cross and lifted way high up in the air. Every breath that he would take, he would have to push against the bottom on his feet, that piercing that went through his ankles. Every breath was painful. And throughout those six hours, his lungs would fill with blood as he slowly suffocated. And the whole point of it, all of it, was for you. Because we wrecked the equation of life.
And because of that sacrifice, we can now truly experience life. Because of that sacrifice, because of what he gave, because of the way that he chose to bear our sins and our failures, that he went to a cross that he knew was going to be brutally painful. Because of that sacrifice, we can truly experience life. Now pay attention to this verse that we read just a little earlier out of 1 John 1. So if we confess our sins to him, look at this. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then pay attention and cleanse us from all wickedness. Oh, if we are willing to confess to him that, God, we blew it. We failed you. We were not the people. We have not been the person that you asked me to be that I know you want me to be. God, I blew it. Not only does he forgive us, but he comes into the equation of life and he cleans it up. And he removes the wickedness that sin left behind so that we can now truly experience authentic life. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.